0: Today's sermon title is The Church's Message, Christ Crucified. Let us pray together as we remain standing before we begin. Almighty Father, whose blessed Son before his passion prayed for his disciples that they may be one as you and he are one, grant that your church, being bound together in love and obedience to you, may be united in one body by one spirit. That the world may believe in him whom you have sent, your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we are continuing in our sermon series today on the church, looking at the question, why the church? And today, what's our message? Last Sunday, we began this series on the church, looking at the faults and the shortcomings of the church, and how the church at times can feel like God's plan B. Anytime you're working with people, and you may have had these experiences of disappointment, or God, do you mean this? (laughs) <laughs> this is your church. Research is also suggesting a rising population whose religion religious affiliation is none. But 1 Corinthians begins with a beautiful vision of the church and the church's place in God's plan. God's people are to be united as one church across all tradition, ethnicity, and and founded upon Jesus Christ, based on the apostles, and called to be holy. With this vision for our series in mind, we will continue to look at the church's important work and the power and the wisdom of God's plan, even when God's plan seems to be both weak and foolish to the culture, and to the world around us and sometimes even to ourselves. Today we're looking at the church's message, which we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greek or the Gentiles. Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God for those of us who believe you may have seen or heard about the School of Athens. It is a fresco by the Italian Renaissance artist Raphael. It was painted between 1509 and 1511 as part of Raphael's commission to decorate the rooms in the Apostolic Palace of the Vatican. The room with the painting was the first of the rooms to be decorated and the School of Athens representing Philosophy was probably the third painting to be finished there. This picture has long been seen as Raphael's masterpiece and the perfect embodiment of the classical spirit of the Renaissance. In this fresco, we see Plato, who is walking with his student, Aristotle, and Plato is pointing up to the transcendent and the utopian. And Aristotle is gesturing downward towards the natural and the concrete. It is here we see the dichotomy and the polarization of philosophy, which is similar to this false dichotomy or division or contrast that we see in the Corinthian church and their worldview concerning both power and wisdom. Is it wisdom or Is it power? This question, the questions that are being asked here, is simply this What is most important? Which one is more real or influential? Which should be considered above the other? Which will convince us? Which will guide us? Which will direct our lives? In our readings, We see Jesus Christ is both the power of God and the wisdom of God personified. Jesus Christ crucified is the message we preach. He is wisdom and power incarnate. Jesus is our salvation. He is the power and wisdom of God. It's not either either or. It is both in Christ. In our 1 Corinthians reading, we see Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. He says that Jews seek power, a sign, or wonder, and the Greeks seek after wisdom and knowledge communicated with eloquence and skill. He then emphasizes that we, the church, we preach Christ crucified. Salvation through humble sacrifice and powerful resurrection, defeating sin and death on our behalf. This is the gospel. John MacArthur states that the Jews wanted supernatural signs before they would believe in the gospels. The Gentiles, represented by Greeks, wanted proof through human wisdom, through ideas that they could propose and could debate amongst themselves. And this desire for proof is most frequently an an evasion, an excuse for not believing. Maybe you have had these moments yourself. If I I would only know the following, I would then believe in Jesus. If I would only see him do blank, I would believe and follow him. We are guilty of much of the same. The church in the world today... are much like the Corinthian church in the days of Paul. We are seeking signs and wonders and wisdom and knowledge. These are our idols, our functional saviors. We seek power. We seek wisdom. We want these to save us, or at least we want them to be a catalyst for our belief. We are all somewhere on the Hebrew-Greek scale. Where are you this morning? Which way do you lean? Are you looking for a sign? Or are you just looking to know just a little bit more and then you're in? Are you looking for a powerful manifestation? Or are you looking for this one question to be answered and then you will follow him? See, the cross is a stumbling block to both Jews and Greeks alike. If we are honest with ourselves, we see ourselves in this. We see ourselves in one of these two descriptions, seeking signs or seeking wisdom. We are either more Hebrew in our thinking or we are more Greek in our thinking. We are either focused on power and wonders or signs or we are focused on the supernatural or looking for special wisdom or knowledge all eloquently orated." The gospel of Jesus Christ appeared to be weakness and full full of foolishness to the Corinthian church. And the gospel can seem this way to the church and to our culture around us today as well. However, we have the perfect demonstration of perfect power And perfect wisdom in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, Jesus is the embodiment of the power of God and the wisdom of God. Yet Jews seek after a sign. They want proof. The Jewish people were looking for a militant Messiah. They were not looking for a humble and sacrificial death. They wanted signs that Jesus was the Messiah, and that he would overthrow Rome militarily. But this was not what Jesus had come to do. In our Gospel reading, we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the sign of the power of God. After Jesus cleansed the temple, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? By the way, Jesus coming into his father's house, turning over the tables, freeing the animals of sacrifice, it's almost as if he owned the place. You see, this in and of itself, when he throws down in the temple, is a demonstration of his power and his control and his wisdom and his might. But they asked him, what sign will you give us? As, As if what he had just done was not sign enough, as the word says, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus answered, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. The Jews then said, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up? In three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Later, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. This is what the text says, because John's gospel was written after the resurrection. They remembered what Jesus had said. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. They had seen the sign and believed. Yet, even after this incident, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, after many healings and miracles, many believed in his name when they saw these signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not trust these people's belief in him. They, he did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about a man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows why we believe and why we do not believe. He knows what our faith in him is based upon. He knows when we are believing rightly, and we are believing because we are getting what we want, or seeing what we want to see, or having the knowledge that we need therefore to believe. But what happens When our faith is shaken and things are not the way we would hope them to be or think them to be. Why do you believe? What is in us? What is our faith in? Who is our faith in? Jesus was skeptical of the faith of these people, which was based more on spectacle and signs and wonders than on his supremacy, more on their fancy than on fact and reality, the truth of who Jesus is. And what is our faith based on? We also see this quest for a sign in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 12, verses 38 through 42. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying, I am the greater Jonah. The passage continues, The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear Solomon's wisdom. The entire world was looking to Solomon and his wisdom. They had never seen anything like it before in his day. And Jesus responds, And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. He is here with us. The wisdom and the power of God. Jesus is saying that he would defeat death in great power. As Jonah was vomited up on the shores to preach to Nineveh, so the grave would vomit Jesus up on the shores of life on our behalf. This is his great power. He is the greater Jonah. He is saying that he is the greater Solomon, he has greater wisdom something greater than Solomon is here, the wisest person that the Hebrews had ever known is now here in Jesus Christ. And what about the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles, the Greek, to the Gentiles and the Greeks, the gospel is foolishness and folly. The Greeks were in love with human wisdom. They believed that philosophy or philosophia the love of wisdom, was all important. Philosophy provided a view invented by man of the meaning of life, values, relationships, purpose, and destiny. Therefore, there were as many philosophies as there were philosophers. And people tended to line up behind their favorite They had itching ears looking for teachers to tell them what they would like to hear, in other words, to quote Paul in the New Testament. They widely disagreed as to which philosophy was the truest and most reliable. And without an absolute standard for this truth, ideas, right and wrong, were based entirely upon human reason and human opinion aren't we glad it's not like that today? I do hope you hear my sarcasm. It is exactly like this today. Look around. Just go to a Barnes and Noble if you can still find one. Go to the self-help section and look at how large it is. Everyone looking for answers. Watch reruns of The Oprah Winfrey Show. Read her magazine, Oh. Watch the Oprah bump on things like The Secret, which is nothing but Gnosticism revised. Gnosticism, the ancient heresy that if I can just know enough, I can save myself. If medical technology just advances in such a way, we can fix this flesh that we are trapped in see we're trapped in these human bodies the Gnostics thought and if we just know enough look at how we esteem and idolize education what school does your son go to what school does your son go to well my son goes to well my daughter's playing and we're in this And if we could just educate them enough they will never suffer they will have plenty of money and plenty of medical attention it is a Gnostic heresy that is alive and well in our culture, that we can save ourselves by knowing rightly, having the right philosophy. To the Greeks, the word of the cross is foolishness. That's why educated people are afraid to talk to other educated people about Jesus because I don't want to come across as foolishness, foolish to my friends. I don't want to offend them. Based on the word Moriah, from which we get the word moron, I don't want to come across as a moron. To the Greeks, it is moronic, absolute nonsense to unbelievers who rely on their own wisdom. To those who are perishing, you see. That phrase, to those who are perishing, it is foolishness, is a graphic description of Christ rejecters. When we reject the wisdom of God and the power of God, we are dead in the water, perishing. In the process of being destroyed in eternal judgment, However, however, to those of us who believe the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is this message, Christ crucified, that we are to preach. This is our message. This is the church's message. Christ crucified, died, buried on the third day, rose again. It, that if the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, how much more shall he give life to your mortal bodies? We must, first of all, believe this message. We must believe it ourselves, or it will never come out of our mouth. Secondly, we must boldly proclaim it to a lost and dying culture, regardless of the cost, regardless of how we look or what someone else's opinion of it is. They are perishing. N.T. Wright sums up the heart of this message well. He writes this more eloquently than I could ever speak it to you. The Christian good news is all about God dying on a rubbish heap at the wrong end of the empire. It's all about God babbling nonsense to a room full of philosophers. It's all about the true God confronting the world of posturing power and prestige and overthrowing it in order to set up his own kingdom, a kingdom in which the weak and the foolish find themselves just as welcome as the strong and wise, if not more. Praise God. He saves a weak fool like me. And you. And you. And what about you, those of you who are still waiting? Our salvation is through the power of Jesus' is humility and the service of Jesus through the seeming folly of his death on a cross. Jesus lays down his life for his friends in seeming weakness and in foolishness in the eyes of the watching world. And because Jesus has done this, folks, we too are to humbly serve others in this power and in this wisdom of our almighty God. We are to preach Christ crucified. Don't trip over him this morning. May we experience the power and wisdom of God. Though the world does not know God through wisdom, it has pleased God through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. So let us preach Christ crucified. Though the culture demands signs and seeks wisdom, we must preach Christ crucified. For to those of us who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And may we experience the foolishness of God, which is wiser than men, and the weakness of God, which is stronger than men. Amen. Let us pray together. Oh God, you have made of one blood all the people of the earth. And you have sent your blessed Son to preach peace to all of us who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Use us as we preach Christ crucified. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.